0: You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, the 2021 NFL Draft, officially in the books, an exciting weekend. I know a really busy one for both of us, especially for you, Rob, being a national NFL Draft columnist. I know that you're going to be enjoying here the next few days, seeing everything start to calm down a little bit.
1: Yeah, it will be nice uh, when that happens. Uh, I'm writing several more articles, just kind of wrapping up the draft for Fox Sports, but um yeah, it, it will be nice once that uh, draft season is over and fishing season begins.
0: Yeah, you'll be taking a nice little vacation away from the draft stuff before you start combing through 2022 prospects. I already know some of the draft experts are already doing that, but you're above that. You're going to get yourself a little bit of a breather. Today's episode is brought your way by Bilt Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked fifteen and you'll get 15% off your next order. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. As we knew going into this 2021 NFL draft, the Seahawks, they had the lowest total of draft picks in the entire league, only three selections, and that ended up being the number of picks that they made this weekend. We'll talk about this more as the show progresses. There were certainly some major surprises that happened this weekend in Cleveland. But the Seahawks came away with another electric wide receiver, a talented cornerback that maybe doesn't fit what they normally look for at the position on the outside, and a mountain of a man that has a chance to be the heir apparent for Dwayne Brown. And really, Rob, the Seahawks kind of turned away from a number of precedents that they have set over the years under John Schneider and Pete Carroll. They really turned a new leaf in a number of regards, when you look at the players that they selected this weekend,
1: well, not only the players they selected, but the the lack of trades. You know, I mean, John Schneider had kind of, uh, you know, earned the reputation of Trader John with, with a lot of the lot of the general managers that I, I've spoken with, um, just for his willingness to trade out. Um, kind of the exact opposite of what Dave Gettleman, uh had become known for with the New York Giants. Um, and, and so there there were some definitely some surprises this year. Um, at, at the same time, I wasn't necessarily surprised by Seattle's decision to stand pat at number fifty six. Overall, just because you know we could kind of anticipate, there's not going to be a great deal of interest in a mid-second round selection, and the fact that the Los Angeles Rams were picking one pick behind them, you had to think from from Schneider and the Seahawks' perspective that okay, if they get a great offer, sure make that move but if not and if there's a player that you think that can fit in with your team and that you also think that the rams might select the 57 can you just imagine a knot on your stomach every time you would have if you watch that player play for the rams that you know you could have taken at 56 you know so i just was trying to play that scenario in my head and i just couldn't see that the seahawks trading out just to acquire extra selections so uh you know that actually wound up being exactly the scenario uh that happened is because of Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan, just too good of a football player uh, to let slide down, slide down the board that much further. Uh, I think that the, the Seahawks and Seahawks fans are going to be really excited about what Eskridge brings to the table.
0: And we'll have a chance later in the show to really take a, a little bit more of a deep dive into the player the Seahawks are bringing into the mix in Dwayne Eskridge. But what I think was the biggest revelation to me coming out of this draft is what we are going to see on the offensive side of the football with a new coordinator in Shane Waldron. The style of players that they picked with having an electric receiver like Eskridge that can create with run plays and create off of screens in the short to intermediate game, break tackles, has a running back background, has played corner, just a little different style player than what they have had at the receiver position. And their sixth round pick, Stone Forsyth, who at six foot eight, he towers above most of his peers along the offensive line. He's even massive for offensive line standards. And a guy of that height, there could be some issues with run blocking because of leverage. But he's an outstanding athlete for his size. And Pete Carroll and John Schneider kept bringing that up in the post-draft press conference, how light on his feet he is, his ability to get out on the perimeter. So really, I thought it was pretty revealing what to expect in Waldron's offense. We've talked about there being more wide zone. I think that's exactly what we're going to see. That's why they're drafting a tackle like this that has the ability to go out and do that. And then you also get the receiver that's kind of a gadget player and also can play on special teams that's going to give you a unique weapon to couple with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf.
1: No, I a hundred percent agree. Uh, I think that not only can he be that, that utility player can do just about everything on offense. He can also bring a lot on special teams as well. Um, You know, as a return man, as a gunner, um, just the physicality that he brings. I I think that uh, that that is going to be important for, for Eskridge. Um, You know, I think that also, as you mentioned, Corbin, it really gives us a little bit more of an idea of, of exactly what the, the Seahawks are going to be using on, or how they're going to be implementing Shane Waldron's offense. Um, we had speculated for months now that that Seattle would be adding in some other type of playmaking wide receiver to be able to use on jet sweeps and things like that. Well, the, the proof is in the pudding. This They got the player who's tailor-made for that exact type of, uh, of system. That, that's what he was asked to do at Western Michigan. Um, a lot of those deep balls, a lot of the shots, Crosses a lot of the jet sweeps and things like that. Th- those are all the things that that Seattle had been lacking on offense a year ago. That that I think that that Russell Wilson is is well suited to to be uh you know to to use you know and so Eskridge to me is a was a match made in heaven in a lot of ways because uh, of how well that he uh, fits into exactly that type of scheme. And then with Stone Forsythe, as you mentioned, I mean he's not going to be the the mauler at the point of attack in the running game that one might anticipate given his size but he is light on his feet um th- there's actually some, some elements of his play that kind of remind me a little bit of george fantz as a former you know basketball player and made that transition to to football late in his career similar kind of thing with stone foresight i mean he was a basketball guy um throughout most most of his high school career and then switched over to football um, and in florida they threw the ball so much that that he is a guy that is a little bit better suited to coming in and, and competing as a pass blocker than he is, is a run blocker. And again, people who watched him on tape know that. But there's a lot of our listeners, of course, Corbin, who have not watched Stone Forsyth on tape. All they're thinking is imagining this guy who's 6'8, 320 pounds, just a mauler. And, and that's not really his game at all. But I think that uh, for a player where Seattle is able to get him, uh, I, I think that he offers extreme value.
0: We're going to have a chance to talk about both Eskridge and Forsyth a lot more, as well as their fourth round pick. Trey Brown later in the show, and of course, over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking a lot about these three draft picks. Normally, we're used to getting seven or eight new players minimum. We can spread the wealth. This year, this trio of players, that's all we have. There will be more emphasis on undrafted free agents. Kind of my last point I want to make here in this opening segment, though, something that jumped out to me was the relegation during this draft process because I do think Shane Waldron, based on what Pete Carroll said, I think Waldron was the driving force behind Eskridge being picked in the second round. And I think Forsyth, the way the Seahawks handled their draft strategy, trying for hours to figure out when's the time we can trade up and try to get him, was built around the fact that Steve Hutchinson worked him out. And Hutchinson was a huge fan of his game. And according to John Schneider, he was driving him dizzy because he was just pacing in the draft room. Hutchinson was hoping they could get Stone Forsythe and that somebody else wasn't going to pick him. And so I did find it interesting how we saw non-Pete Carroll, John Schneider people in the draft room that were having a big impact on the players that were selected. We'll talk more about it as the show progresses. When we come back in the second quarter, we're going to break down some of the biggest surprises from draft weekend. There were a lot of things that maybe didn't go exactly how we anticipated, at least from the Seahawks standpoint. Don't go away, you're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On podcast network, your team every day. Hey Seahawk fans, listen up. Nugenix, the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC, is offering a complimentary bottle to all football fans in America. To get your complimentary bottle of Nugenix Total Tea, text DRAFT to 231231. This unique man-boosting formula is powered by Testofen which helps boost free testosterone and total testosterone levels and increase energy and lean muscle mass. Nugenic Total Tea is a great way to increase lean muscle and feel stronger with more energy and endurance. And like the TV ads say, she'll like it too. Plus text now and they'll include a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help get you back in shape absolutely free. Text DRAFT to 231-231. That's DRAFT to two three one two three one. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, and all of the UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device. And check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Ben Online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Happy Monday to all of our listeners. The Seahawks coming away with a franchise low. Three new draft picks this past weekend. And I think that's really where we're to start this segment off. We kind of hit on it a little bit in the first quarter. But, Rob, I think the expectation, at least for most fans and most draft experts, was that John Schneider was going to find a way to turn their three draft picks into at least five or six new selections. That's just what we are accustomed to with John Schneider. A couple of years ago, we turned five picks into 11 new players, but it really seemed like if you were listening closely to Schneider's words on Wednesday, the day before the actual draft started, it really seemed clear when you look at how different this draft process was that he was not comfortable with where his scouting staff was with this year's draft class and that they may be in a position where they are more comfortable just making a handful of picks and moving on. And that ended up being what happened this weekend in Cleveland.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't that surprised by it. I, I thought that was the strategy that basically he's been kind of preaching the entire time. You know, he, he said that, uh, that that was some of the reason why Seattle decided to make the move for Jamal Adams. They made the trade for Gabe Jackson, the trade for Carlos Dunlap. It, it's just the fact that this was, of course, an unprecedented year. The scouts did not have the access that they normally do. Um, the, the fact that Seattle lost one of their top and most trusted scouts, Scott Fitter, now the general manager of Carolina. I think Seattle felt like they had one time, one hand tied behind their back from a a draft, uh, you know. The, just the number of draft picks that they had um, the fact that they didn't have again, the, the, you know, the access that they normally have, there's no medical combine there this year. Seattle had to hit some home runs in this draft class. And I think with the strategy that most teams generally have taken is just try to acquire as many draft picks as you possibly can. You've heard me use that dart board analogy before just gives you more darts to throw at the board. Instead, I think that Seattle just focused more on quality making making damn sure that they got really good, clean schematic and personality fits rather than taking that kind of shotgun approach uh, of being able to just kind of get as many as you could. Um, and so I, I think it's going to wind up paying off big for him because I think all three players that they that they drafted this year are going to wind up being really good uh, players for them and, and extreme uh, positions of value. Um, and that they all also checked off a lot of boxes. Those are three of the biggest positions of concern for the club. So to me, that, that wasn't so much of a surprise. The huge surprise for me, of course, was, was Trey Brown, just the cornerback um, from, from Oklahoma, just the fact that he didn't have the length that, that Seattle had always prioritized in the past, but while he doesn't have arm length, he checks every other box when you watch it, uh, when you watch him on tape. So even that to me, wasn't the head scratcher that I think that, that, that some people out there are, are, are proclaiming it to be.
0: It's funny because I, I feel like if you pay attention to the press conferences, it seems like every time that Pete Carroll has been talking with reporters recently, and I'm going to admit that I'm one of the guys that's really a culprit for this, but Constantly bringing up the arm length aspect of the cornerback position because DJ Reed was a revelation for them last year. And prior to DJ Reed, Pete Carroll had not been putting corners out there with sub 32 inch arms. Now, DJ Reed actually has pretty long arms for a five nine corner. He's like thirty one and three quarters. He's close to that 32 inch threshold. So he does have pretty long arms for his size. You can't say the same for Trey Brown, though. He's got around 30-inch arms, and so that's a significant difference, but he plays a physical brand of football, sometimes too much. I do think he's going to have to step back a little bit with his aggression in terms of how physical he gets with receivers at the top of their routes. He's going to get called for a lot more penalties than he already did in college, and we'll get more into that as we dive deeper into these prospects, but Uh, Trey Brown is a player that's got a lot of physicality. He really checks off a lot of the boxes that Seattle looks for at corner with the exception of the size and length aspect. And I don't care what Pete Carroll says. He's acting like I've always played smaller corners. I've been willing to do this. You know, he hasn't been up to this point though with the Seahawks, DJ Reed really opened his eyes with the way he played the end of last season. And I think Carroll is now looking at the types of receivers that are in the NFC West. Now you got Rondale Moore in Arizona that you've got to worry about. You know the Rams have got some speedy receivers in the short to intermediate game, or you've got really crafty route runners that you've got to deal with. That quickness and change of direction skills are arguably more important for the corners they're bringing in now than having guys with 34-inch arms that can press the living daylights out of receivers. You want guys that can move laterally and have change of direction skills it looks like they are maybe changing their approach a little bit to me.
1: No, I, I agree. I think that they absolutely are changing their approach. I think there's two factors behind that, at least in my opinion. For one, as you just mentioned, Corbin, just the the, the breed of receivers that you're now seeing just populate the entire NFL. You know, to me, it was not a coincidence whatsoever that after watching the San Francisco 49ers take like a guy and Brennan Ayuk last year in the first round, who has that change of direction, that quickness and seeing the immediate success that he had, that all three NFC West teams took these types of receivers in the second round this year, Rondell Moore for Arizona, Seattle, of course, with, with Dwayne Eskridge. And then with the Los Angeles Rams, one pick later with two, two out. Well, I mean, all three of those guys are four, three kind of guys, you know, running that kind of, that kind of speed. You You can have all the arm length and height that you want. If you can't change direction, on these kind of guys, they are gone. And so I think that that Seattle is adjusting to that. And then, of course, the NFL's rules have have changed. I mean, you cannot get your hands on receivers past those first couple of yards. And and that has been a a difference since Pete Carroll first uh, became the head coach in in Seattle. So I think that, um, you know, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, uh, you know, and I certainly am not going to call Pete Carroll an old dog. Um, But he is about as proven of a coach as there is in the NFL and obviously one of the the elder statesmen. I think it's just shows his ability and his willingness to kind of make adjustments as as you go and that's football in a nutshell right there is who can make the adjustments kudos to the Seahawks for recognizing that that's the where the game is going and be able to adjust on the fly
0: and I asked John Schneider point blank you know do you reach a point at some stage where the arm length and the athletic metrics you just kind of got to put them to the side a little bit and say this guy is a fantastic football player and I can't let him slip past and He indicated Trey Brown, if he was 6'2", would be a top 10 pick. And I thought that might have been the most interesting thing that he said in that entire press conference. And he was talking about the need for adaptability. And so I think that this isn't necessarily Pete Carroll and John Schneider saying, we don't want long corners anymore. I mean, they did sign Akella Witherspoon and Pierre Desir. They still like players and prefer players like that. But I think what you are seeing is Carroll and Schneider admitting, or I don't even know if admitting is the right word, but they're willing now to look at those smaller corners that have those change of direction skills and realize those type of players can be effective in our scheme as well we don't have to just button to one type of corner and I think that is a big deal it's a good change for the Seahawks on defense and the other big surprise to me coming out of this draft we talked about it all off season long if you would have told me last week that the Seahawks were not going to pick a center in this draft. I would have told you that you were crazy. But it's funny because when the draft got rolling and I saw some of these centers sliding down the board, I started thinking, you know, there might be a chance that the Seahawks don't pick a center. I don't know why I changed my tune early in the draft on that. But I went back and started looking at Ethan Posick's pass protection numbers from last year. And quite frankly, they were pretty solid. If you look at some of the more in-depth numbers uh, on pro football focus, he was ninth for their true pass set protection efficiency rate out of 30 centers. That's pretty darn good. That's a top 10 center in that regard. And so that's taking all the plays like your quick screens and stuff like that, that the guys don't have to block very long out of the equation. So to me, that number means a lot more than just the general pass protection numbers. But um, I think the Seahawks, you listen to the way Carol and Schneider were talking On Wednesday, going to this draft, they were just raving about getting Ethan Posick back, and it turns out that I don't think they were blowing smoke because they had a chance to get Quinn Miners or Creed Humphrey at pick 56, and they went with Dwayne Eskridge instead, and they didn't pick a center with their other two picks either, so they are clearly giving a vote of confidence to Posick after re-signing him to a one-year contract.
1: That's a good point that you just made there at the very end, a one-year contract. So I I don't know that they are so head over heels in love with with Ethan Posick that that they may not have considered a center had they had had more draft picks. But at the same time, I, I think that you are asking a rookie center to to do an awful lot. Um, if you're going to select him with 56th overall, um, you know I, I don't think that he w- that center would have been able to make the immediate impact that I think that Dwayne Eskridge is going to be able to make for the Seahawks. Um, also, I you know I, I'm of course been one of those who has kind of touted the idea of, of Seattle drafting a center. Um, you know the fact that there were five centers drafted on in the second and third round, uh, I think that that is kind of the evidence that, um, that this is a, a unique center class. And, and Seattle may one day wish that they did have the draft picks to, um, to be able to, to bring in another center. Um, Ethan Postick's a good, solid player. You know, and I don't think that that's a huge area of concern. I think that the third receiver was a bigger area of concern for this, for this club. And, and they, you know, they certainly believe that as well in making Eskridge the pick. One one last thing I would say that I think a lot of people would think was a surprise, but I, again, I, I did, was not that surprised by it, was the fact that Seattle did have four f- draft picks for a little while there Corbin, and then traded back up and got stone Forsyth. To me, that said two things for one, that they really like stone Forsyth obviously Also, I think that throughout that entire seventh round, I think that Seattle was very much on the phone and talking to all these players, and that's why they are going to wind up having one of the best undrafted free agent classes of all the teams in the NFL. I think that that was absolutely part of the strategy to trade out of the seventh round and give your scouts hours to be able to lay those foundations and have those conversations to make sure that you get these players rather than getting just one guy in the seventh round, get 10 as undrafted free agents that might be able to fill out your roster.
0: That's a really good point. And the fact that John Schneider and Pete Carroll were rushing to get to the podium so they could talk to reporters while there was still like 25 picks left to go in the draft, that told you all you need to know. So I do think that that was part of their strategy. Let's get completely out of the seventh round. Let's go get that tackle that we want. Three picks, we're done. Now let's go get a bunch of guys that probably could have been drafted on an undrafted rookie contract. It's great business if you're able to find some quality guys. And as we'll talk about in tomorrow's show and the rest of the week, they certainly found some intriguing undrafted players. And I think the fact they only had three picks, Schneider pointed it out, certainly that benefited them in the recruiting process, getting some of these players to sign and come out to Seattle. It'll be interesting to see all of them on the field whenever they have rookie minicamp. Right now it's scheduled for May 13th through the 15th, We'll see what happens. When we come back in the third quarter, we're going to take a look at those three draft picks, a little deeper discussion on Dwayne Eskridge, Trey Brown, and Stone Forsythe, the trio of new selections joining the Seahawks roster. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar, 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. Some of the best ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, peanut butter, double chocolate. You're gonna have a tough time eating just one. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew. It's great for the health conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and they're great for a keto diet. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang, the Seahawks ending the 2021 NFL draft with three new selections. It still sounds weird coming off the tongue, Rob, because I would have been more likely before this year to say the Seahawks made three selections in one round than saying that they made three selections in an entire draft. But here we are. That's exactly what happened after making the trades for Jamal Adams, as well as Carlos Dunlap, and most recently Gabe Jackson coming in to bolster the offensive line. Those three players are part of the draft class for the Seahawks this year, and they settled with making three selections. Dwayne Eskridge in the second round at pick 56. Then they got Trey Brown in the corner of Oklahoma at pick 137 in the fourth round. And then pick 208, trading up with the Bears. They got Stone Forsyth in the sixth round, big tackle out of Florida. Let's start diving into these three players because Dwayne Eskridge, it's funny, we've talked about him a lot on our podcast. I know he's a player that you and I were both very high on going into this pre draft process because he led the entire nation last season in all-around yardage per game, 213 yards because of his return skills, a guy with big playability, three touchdowns of 72 or more yards last season for Western Michigan, and he's a player that's got a unique background, being a running back at the high school level and then playing some corner. It was something Pete Carroll said really drew him to, Join Eskridge, the fact that he was willing in the middle of the season to move over to the other side of the football with injuries and transfers and playing cornerback for the Broncos. That's the kind of player that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have always liked and want to bring in. And so I'm not surprised that they prioritized him over some of the other receivers that may have been available at that spot.
1: No, I 100% agree with you. I think that the positional versatility just shows his commitment to the team. Um, it shows just what an athlete he is. Um, it shows how physical he is. I mean, you get some of these prima donna wide receivers that, you know, that they get a hangnail and they can't play. You know, I mean, this guy is is a tough guy. And so I, I think that those, uh, those are some of the things that absolutely check the boxes. As much as all those physical attributes that everybody uses, kind of thresholds that they have to have this length or they have to have this th- Three cone drill or whatever—they've got to be tough. That's one of the things I've learned about watching the Seahawks is that that—that's the the best players that they select year in and year out are the guys who just have a different level of grit uh, to them. And so I think that Dwayne Eskridge has that. You mentioned how uh, how productive he was, and yeah, I know it was against the Mac competition. But that's what Antonio Brown dominated before he wound up becoming an All-Pro. Kenny Galladay, Greg Jennings—you know—the list goes on and on. There's a lot of really good wide receivers, especially that have come out of the MAC. And I, I mentioned Antonio Brown because physically, that's a lot. That's really who that, uh, that 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 Dwayne Eskridge reminds me of. I mean, I just the the quickness, um, the, the competitiveness, um, obviously, all the off-field stuff that Antonio Brown has—you um, know—that's that, a different thing. You know, but in terms of on the field, I, I think that Dwayne Eskridge is going to come into the NFL and be an immediate contributor. And I think that he's got a chance to be a really, really good football player for a long time. So I, I'm just absolutely in love with the, this draft selection for them. Um, and, you know, as you said, Corbin, I mean, we've been talking about this player for a while. You know, I, I'm not like I you. I'm never... about
0: him, apparently. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Like you said, you know, you, you had a dream and, and it called your shot, you know, mentioned it on Twitter before the, the Seahawks, you know, were long before they were even on the clock. And, and obviously that wound up happening. But I'm not going to say I was dreaming about him, but I there's not many players that I that I wrote twice about, um, you know, I wrote my Rangs gang article where I highlight my favorite players in the draft. Uh, he was my feature guy at wide receiver. Uh, when I did a hall of fame article for, for Fox sports and it wasn't, it's not, I don't mean like Canton hall of fame. I mean, like who are the guys that if you were voting for who had the best hands or who had this, or who had that, okay. Who has the strongest arm? Well, the what, the player that got the votes for the best player after the catch, the, the most dangerous guy with the ball in his hands, was Dwayne Eskridge. And that was me asking scouts and general managers from all over the league, not just Seattle guys. So he was universally considered that kind of guy. And then goes to the senior bowl. He's absolutely terrific there as well. So to me, there's just so many things that's exciting about this particular selection for the Seahawks. I really think that, again, the Seahawks fans are going to be really excited about an Antonio Brown light in Dwayne Eskridge.
0: And then in the fourth round, Trey Brown coming out of Oklahoma. We had a chance a little bit to kind of talk about his play style a little bit. But maybe the thing that jumps out to me the most, putting aside the size and the length, when you watch him on film, you want to talk about a player that just has the propensity for coming through in the clutch, whether it's on special teams or defense. I remember watching the Big 12 title game this past year. And he had a couple big kick returns in that game that set up touchdowns. And then he caught an interception inside a minute and a half to play that ended the game as a victory for Oklahoma. This guy just always seems to step up in the biggest moments when he's under the lights. And you know Pete Carroll loves those kind of players, especially ones that bring the special teams versatility to go with it.
1: No, exactly. And, you know, as we kind of talked about before with, with Dwayne Eskridge and what a clean schematic fit that that he is and, and what the Seahawks are looking to do with Shane Waldron uh, and, and the fact that the, that, that the scouts uh, for Seattle, I think, were, you know, because they knew they only had the three draft picks. I think that they were really trying to harness in on the players that would, would make a lot of sense for them. I, I think that that is going to force teams to. To talk to the college coaches that they that they trust the most, and at Oklahoma the defensive coordinator is Alex Grinch, who used to be the defensive coordinator at the Washington State Cougars, and, and I just believe that there has already been a pretty strong relationship established there, and so it's not that uh, anybody who watched Trey Brown, a four-year starter at a you know nationally prominent school like Oklahoma, that every year is in the playoff hunt. I mean, I don't think you have to have any kind of great relationship with the college coaches to know that this kid can play, but I think that that just made it that much easier. Uh, and so I again I I think with Trey Brown to me you hit the nail on the head right there when you talked about how how much of a playmaker he was when the lights were shining brightest and and every club loves that and and I think that when you see a guy who is as physical as he is that maybe he doesn't have the arm length but he has the quickness I mean his light feet and his loose hips I mean he changes direction on the snap Um, you know he just shadows guys I mean and it's I do think that you mentioned this before, that he's going to have to learn to play a little bit off. He is very aggressive. I mean, he is right on the hips of these receivers, and that's going to draw some flags at times. But I think that with the ball coming out as quickly as it does in today's NFL, Corbin, you have to have corners who have that type of of confidence and that type of quickness, and he has both. So I'm really excited to see where he goes. I did not have nearly as high uh, on my board as, as where Seattle took him. I had him going in the late 5th. Um, and, and so that is significant to me. Um, but I, I will say this: that a big, pre, a big reason for that is because I was kind of thinking about it more from a Seahawks perspective. I like those long arm corners too. I thought that he might go around in that that area. I think that he can be successful. I just didn't think there was any way that a team like the Seahawks would take him. Again, I think it's a it's a credit to the Seahawks for being willing to adjust what they've done because I think there is a little bit of a book on what Seattle is looking to do at this point, and Seattle just reversed course right there i think it's going to be one that's going to make a lot of people happy
0: i'm going to throw one number out there that will explain why i continue to become more and more excited about this pick because you and i both know in the big 12 defense is optional defenses don't really stop the opponent very often everybody's trying to score 60 points a game and yet this kid never gave up more than 70 receiving yards against him in coverage in a single game in his college career. He didn't do it once. And I want you to think about some of the players that Trey Brown has gone up against, not just in the Big 12, but when they played in the college football playoff. And LSU obviously ran them out of the stadium. But Brown was not really the problem. They were picking on everyone else on Oklahoma's defense. But, I mean, you think about the fact that he went up against Jamar Chase and some of those other stud receivers LSU had – all the talent that is in the big 12 conference, a number of first and second round picks guys that were drafted in the middle rounds. He was going against those guys every single week and he never gave up more than 70 receiving yards in a game. That is extremely impressive. And that's probably what jumped out to the Seahawks more than anything is I don't care that your arms are 29 and seven inches. If you are having that kind of consistency and production playing in the big 12 of all conferences, Uh, that's pretty darn good. Maybe that's why Schneider made the comment he did. If he was taller, he's a first-round pick. And so it's a really fascinating fourth-rounder that I want to see how this plays out with him playing in Seattle's scheme, especially after the way D.J. Reed played in the second half of the 2020 season. Now, in the sixth round, Seattle gets Stone Foresight. We've talked about him extensively to this point, about his size, 6'8", well over 300 pounds. He's a mountain of a man. But he kind of plays with a finesse game. This is a guy that's got really light feet. He mirrors defenders well. Only gave up two sacks on over 500 pass uh, pass protection reps this past season at Florida. He has played both tackle spots. It sounds like that's what we're going to see right off the bat is he's going to get some reps both behind Dwayne Brown and Brandon Shell at both tackle spots in Seattle. There's a lot to love about his pass protection game. In the run blocking department, I think the zone blocking stuff, he's okay. He moves well. Really, the biggest concern for him is something that I'm not sure what's going to be done as far as coaching to fix it because he's not going to just magically shrink a couple of inches. Being six foot eight, that's a huge target for defensive linemen to be able to get under your pads. And so that's going to make it difficult. I think the one thing that does help him, though, is he isn't high waisted. His hips aren't way up in the sky. And so I think he will be able to play low enough. It's just always going to be a challenge for him because he's six foot
1: eight. Yeah, because of his height. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who's going to win that, that leverage battle consistently and be able to just jar people at the point of attack and move bodies. However, I, I, like his quickness to the second level. And when you're as big as he is, you don't necessarily have to be able to latch on to guys and put them into the ground. He's just so damn big that people have to try and run around him, you know? And, and so that just by blocking, just by proximity, I, I think that he will be very effective blocking, um, you know, in, in, on the outside zone, as you mentioned, I think that he can be effective in that regard. And then the pass protection, you know, Again, he's spectacular in that regard because, again, he is as long as he is. Um, he's as, uh, as light on his feet as he is. He reminds me of a lot of the tackles I've seen the New England Patriots be in the Pittsburgh Steelers, for that matter, be able to steal in late rounds. I mean, these guys who are 6'7, six, 6'8, six, and then basically with those long arms just guide people outside. I mean, it's like a $5 taxi ride to be able to drive, get all the way around these guys. And, and so that's one of the things that, that he does really, really well. Now, I do have some concerns because Russell Wilson will try to run around and do his thing, and so once that those once those pass rushers are by him, then, then it's going to be pretty difficult for Foresight to be able to turn around and recover. Um, but at the same time, I do think that it's going to buy him some time. And again, he's got time. It's not like Seattle drafted this guy expecting him to come in and be able to wrestle away a job from Dwayne Brown or Brian Shaw. The whole point of a sixth-round pick as a developmental guy is to do that develop him. And so I think that he's going to learn some tricks to the trade. Um, And and I think that again, a year or two down the road, we may very well be talking about Seattle starting left tackle. And if you got him in the sixth round in a draft class where, you know, where where you were pegged to, you know, not do much because you only had three draft picks then it could wind up, this could wind up being a home run of a
0: draft for the Seahawks. He's got a clean character and he's a player that obviously Steve Hutchinson was excited about having met with him, worked him out was a player that was high on his draft board. And when somebody like Steve Hutchinson recommends an offensive lineman, you probably should listen to him. And that's what the Seahawks ended up doing. So again, as you said, you don't want to get too high on draft picks before you've seen them actually take the field and see where they fit. But all three of these players make a lot of sense for a variety of reasons. And I think all three of them have the ability to be starters at some point. The first two players I could see getting consistent reps In 2021, as rookies, Forsyth is going to have to earn a role as a swing tackle immediately. He's going to be battling against Cedric Abwehi, but then both your starting tackles are free agents after this year. There's a chance he could be installed as a starter at either tackle spot as early as 2022. So, this is a chance to be a small but very solid draft class for the Seahawks when it's all said and done. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Make sure to follow Locked On Today on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Follow Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Coming up on our Tuesday show... We're going to start looking at a few of the undrafted free agents reportedly signed by Seattle. Plus, we'll revisit the chances of a trio of former Seahawks coming back to Seattle in the third wave of free agency. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.